0: Um, really unfair for me to have to follow all that cuteness. And I don't know who of you left your sunglasses up here, but that will be helpful for me during the sermon today. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs. And I do want to say Happy Mother's Day to all of you moms who are here with us. I hope today is filled with a lot of great memories for you as you're turning to the book of Proverbs um, a couple of things we want to remind you of if you didn't happen to catch the announcements at the top of the service we are helping to support Choices Pregnancy Center again this year through the baby bottle campaign and those are available for you the baby bottles remember what we want you to do Take that home, fill it with change or $100 bills and uh, bring them back here. You've got until Father's Day to do that and um, we will turn them over to the Care Center to support that campaign. Also, um, next Sunday morning we're starting a new sermon series called Alone. And what we'll be talking about um, during that time is during the history of our culture, our faith was shaped by a group of believers who rediscovered and reemphasized five really foundational truths Um, of Christianity. Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and the glory of God alone. And if you can understand and believe these things, there's all kinds of salvation and blessing in that for you and for our culture. So I hope that you'll make it a point to come and be a part of worship. And isn't it fun to all be in here together for one worship service this morning? Some of you were wondering whether your friends had turned into heathen and stopped coming to church, but they've been here. They've just been in an opposite service, so I hope you'll take an opportunity to say hi to one another. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Just one verse to start with together this morning. Now, I get to read this after you watched all that cuteness in the Mother's Day video, so um, have mercy on me, okay? Whoever spares the rod... hate their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Okay, let's see how much trouble I can get into today. I have, uh, just because of circumstances in our family, I've had to make a lot of extra trips up to Indiana in the last few months. In fact, I've flown there four times in the last five months. So you can imagine the joy that is involved in driving through Orlando and going to the Orlando Airport and dealing with all of the pleasant folks that are in airport security there. And then flying Frontier. Truly a top notch airline. All so that we can enjoy the paradise that is Indiana in February. If you've never been, I would recommend it. And um and Chanel gets to come with me. I know how to show my wife a good time. And um uh, so the last time we were there, I'm seated in, uh, at our gate waiting to board the plane, and I saw them coming. And uh, when I say them, it was a it was a family with a big stroller, you know, one of those Sherman tank-sized strollers that people push around today. And, and uh, they had one child squalling in the stroller, and then they had another child who was on a leash, I think, with them, and this child was not happy about being there. And he was screaming, or she was screaming, I should say, falling down, screaming, and the father would pick her up and she would take a couple of steps and scream and fall down again and then the mother would take her turn to pick her up and And I watched this um, family walk through the terminal and I decided to pray I said, dear Lord please don't let them come to our gaze <laughs> they did So I thought, okay, he gives, he takes away, he's a good God, he's just, I'll pray again. Dear Lord, please don't let them sit anywhere near me on the airplane. Guess where they wound up? Right behind me. And there's something fascinating about those trays on the back of your chair for a little baby, a little child, and he just got to go on, wham, wham, up and down, wham, wham, wham. Now, I'm a pastor, so violence is not becoming... (laughs) Although it crossed my mind. And I was just wanting so badly to complain to Janelle, but she was prepared for this. She had headphones on, watching, um, call the midwife, which is how we got in this situation. But she was completely oblivious to my pain and struggle that this young child was causing behind me. It was a terrible flight. They made it there alive. But for the first time on this trip, something occurred to me that I really had never thought of before. I saw how desperate those parents were. I saw how angry they were with one another over what was happening. Not long ago, the Wall Street Journal published an article with the title, Here Comes the Baby, There Goes Our Marriage. And they quoted statistics that say two-thirds of couples say that the quality of their relationship with one another plummets after they have their first child. Also, that within five years of the first child, 40% of couples will separate and many of them will divorce. Well, what's happening here? We thought that having a child would be one of life's greatest experiences. Jenny and I had a song when we were dating. I know you guys didn't go in for that smarmy stuff, but We did. And there was this line in the song that says, Come with me, my sweet, let's go make a family. And they will bring us joy for always. What a load that was. (laughs) What causes this problem? Now, we discussed last week in this series that we've been in the tendency that we have to prioritize children over one another. We stop being husbands and wives and we start being full-time parent partners, concierge services for our children. But this airport experience highlighted another reason I think that many marriages are often compromised by children. And that's because we're often raising tyrant children. The joys of being a parent are real, but what we don't talk often enough about are the struggles of being a parent. Children introduce pressures and problems into your relationship you never anticipated. You sleep less. You worry more. You just had another human being. These human beings are needy and they're demanding. They don't stay put. And you can't ignore them. And they have to be taken care of. And listen, they're selfish. hang with me sister Um, and they get away with it because they're cute that's why we let them live but let's be honest folks babies are pretty much into themselves aren't they and if we don't get that selfishness in check if we don't plan together and present a united front the child will become a tyrant in your home and in your relationship That was what was happening at the airport. And all of us have been there. Everybody that has ever raised a child has known the terror of being held hostage by a screaming child in a public situation. We've all been there. We understand the pressure it produces on us. We understand the judgmental stares of all the other people that always did it right. Always got it perfect. Your temperature starts to rise. You're angry with the kids, but you can't scream at them. You're angry at the people around you, but it isn't their fault. And so the only person you can take your frustration out on is the person you're married to. Where's her teddy bear? told you to pack her teddy bear. I told you this would happen. We wouldn't be dealing with this if you'd just make her turn off the TV and go to bed at night. After 40 minutes of wrestling, the kid finally happily falls asleep and mom and dad are exhausted and angry with one another. And if this happens over and over again, what is going to be the result for your marriage relationship? So, in this last message of until death, in all the way since Easter we've been talking about what has to die in order for love to live. Christ said, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross and and to be my disciple. So what we've been saying is you have to make a decision to keep any relationship alive to kill some things in you and you have to do it over and over again. Love dies between us because of what we refuse to kill within us. And so we've said we have to put to death unrealistic expectations. We have to put to death secrecy. We have to put to death unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts. And last week we talked about putting to death over commitment. Today, we're going to talk about the tyrant child. Now, I I was about ready to say kill the tyrant child, but that would get me in trouble. And that would be drastic. And that would be illegal. So, I'm saying that we have to learn how to discipline our children in order to bless them and to preserve our relationship. That's the wisdom of our text. The writer says, whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So let's talk about that. And start right here. What is the need for in the nature of discipline? This, this verse, I'm going to read it to you again. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. <clears throat> this is a real slap in the face. This is very stark to our modern sensibilities because it begins with words like hate and rod and those are jarring and violent and abusive images at least that come up in our mind. And, And some of that is because we simply don't understand the text and we're going to do our best to try and remedy that before we're done this morning. But we struggle with it for more central reasons, more subjective and personal reasons. Some of the problem is with our heads, the way we think about things. This verse makes it very clear. Loving parents discipline their children. Loving parents establish rules. Loving parents set boundaries. Loving parents impress their beliefs and their values on their children. Loving parents reward good behavior and punish bad behavior so that those things can be reinforced. All of that truth is stuffed into this verse, but but some but some uh, react neg- negatively because because we've stopped thinking about the family and about parenting the way Scripture tells us to think about it, and you've accepted the way culture tells you you should think about it. So the first decision we have to make is, are we going to listen to what the Word says? We all march around saying, don't take away my Bible. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. But the question is, will you live by what you say that you believe? What decision will you make here? We have to choose between Scripture or between culture, and those two things are diametrically opposed to one another. And an idea that has dominated our culture is this. There are no bad children. There are only bad parents. All children are born innately good and pure and innocent. And if you just cuddle them and positively reinforce them and be patient and indulgent with them, eventually children will choose the right path. Now, some of you are thinking, uh, what happened? (laughs) I mean, did I get in the wrong line when they were passing out kids? Because that doesn't describe my child at all. Well, don't doubt yourself. You know that this is a lie. We all know that this is a lie. But we don't know why we know it's a lie. Here's the thing. This theory about children has a lot of problems with it. First of all, it doesn't explain anything. If everyone is born innocent and only warped and corrupted by their society and their parents, then where did it begin? Where did all this perversion and corruption come from in the first place? How does it get passed on? You see, this, this ideology is terribly naive and grossly one-sided. And the problem is, it makes you as a parent de facto failures all the time. You're the ones that are responsible for everything that's wrong with your kids. So I'm just going to say this because I don't have time to argue. It's a lie. Here's the next thing. It denies facts. The overwhelming evidence declares that left to ourselves, we are all of us selfish and violent and even murderous. And good socialization through stable structures, the first of which, the most important of which, is the family, doesn't make that worse. It makes it better. Third thing is, it just denies common sense. You guys know better. Anybody that's ever raised a child knows this is not true. We had our first son. We got along pretty well. And then we had a second one. and, And one day we were sitting at the house. And Benjamin wasn't very old. I think he had just started to walk or he was toddling a little bit. And he and Zachary were having an argument about what video they should watch. And this is back in the days when they packaged your movies in a handy weapon. It was called a VHS tape. And Benjamin was one, was unhappy and he just uh, picked up the tape and whacked Zach right up the head with it. And Janelle and I looked at each other like, where did he learn that? And she said, it must have been your family. Nobody in my house behaves like that. <laughs> but here's what we found out over time. He didn't have to learn how to do that. That comes naturally to human beings. That comes naturally to us. And that's the biggest problem with the theory of the world is that it contradicts God's Word. The Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Scripture says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction drives it far from them. So when you read the Scripture, it makes it clear that while we're all created in the image of God and all loved and all of us, because we're created in God's image, have incredible potential for good, we're also all of us fallen. And so we're infected with sin and selfishness. And so no child can simply be left to their own devices and expected to bloom in, in any kind of productive human being. Every human being desperately needs the saving grace of Jesus and the socializing love of a family. We have to accept that premise if we're going to discipline well. And then we have to deal with the next problem and that's the problem with our own hearts. I remember when Jenny and I were dating, um, her father found out one of the best ways to discipline her was to ground her. I could see her only on the weekends. We it 90 miles away from one another, so I would drive over to see her. And if she did something to get in trouble, he would ground her so we couldn't go anywhere on the weekends. And I, some of the arguments that we had, and, and she would look, he would look at her and say, Listen, I'm not one of your friends. And it would just kick her off. But you know what, I, I, there's a lot of things I didn't agree with on her father, but I think that that's a good reminder. You, folks, you didn't have babies so you could raise your own friends. One of my favorite authors said said this, modern parents are simply paralyzed by the fear that they will no longer be liked or even loved by their children if they discipline them for any reason. They want their children's friendship above all and they're willing to sacrifice respect to get it. This is not good. A child will have many friends. They will only have two parents. My mom, I used to, I got mad at her. I, I, I lived through this, and I'm amazed that I'm standing here to tell you this story. But one day I said to her, I don't like you. And she said, I don't like you either. <laughs> and that was the end of the conversation. Now, I won't make any of you confess to this sort of stuff in public, but I'll do it for you. One of the struggles that I had with disciplining my children is I didn't like doing it, I didn't enjoy it. And that's good. If you enjoy disciplining your child, you're the last person that should be disciplining your child. You're not a parent. You're a sadist if you like this stuff. Discipline is not fun. Can I get an amen? It's not fun. Nobody should enjoy doing this. And I wanted to be the cool dad. I didn't pull it off, but I wanted to be... I wanted to be the cool dad. I, I, wanted the one, I wanted to be the one that make everyone happy. I, I don't enjoy crying. I, I don't enjoy the unpleasant atmosphere it creates in my home when one of the kids are upset and we have to confront a behavior. So I have this tendency to kind of want to ignore stuff and shy away from stuff and not have the difficult conversations that need to be had. So we have a problem with our heart. But that leads to the next struggle that we have, which is far less noble if we own it. We're just lazy. Folks, discipline is if it's done right, is hard work. Let me show you something. Hebrews chapter twelve. The scripture says, "Moreover, we all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live?" They disciplined us for a little while as they saw fit, but God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. Now, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it. The author there of the book of Hebrews is using parental discipline as an illustration about God's sovereignty and providence in our life. But the point that he makes about discipline in the family life is still true and applicable and profound. Biblical discipline is training your child so that they will develop self-discipline and godly character. That's why we do this. In other words, discipline isn't just punishment. That's always what pops into our mind when we hear that. Discipline uh, isn't just punishment. Punishment is only a part of the job that we have in disciplining our child. Punishment focuses on the past and on misbehavior that needs to stop. But discipline focuses on your plan for the future. And what kind of child you want your son or daughter to grow up to be? It includes correction. It includes instruction. It includes redirection. And that is hard work. It's hard to get up off the couch and stop a child from doing something. It is so much easier to just lay there and say, I'm going to count to three, 30 times before you do anything. It's easy. It, and by the way, it's easy to just spank your child. That's easy to do. It's, it's challenging to think about talking to them about what needs to change in the future. It's easier to distract your child with video games and, and some channel on TV than it is to direct them to appropriate behavior. And, folks, I'm not trying to be condescending here. Um, I've, I've got three, so the evidence is out there on me if you want to check them out. I'm, I'm, I'm just telling you, I understand that parenting, parenting is hard, hard work. I mean, I, I think I told you last week that um, I had to... When Ginny and I, a few years ago, I had to take a little two-year-old girl in our house, and, and I was 52 years old when this little two-year-old moved. I never knew how tiring and devious a two-year-old little girl could be. I had forgotten... The amount of time that is demanded by a little child, and how really desperate a child is for an adult's attention, and how that wears on us. So, please, I'm a sympathetic critic. It is so easy for us to surrender. You have other things to do. Children have all the time in the world to just scheme about how to make you miserable. But here's why it matters. Children can be hurt by a lack of incisive attention as much as they're hurt by abuse. Children can be hurt by a lack of attention as much as they're hurt by abuse. Children are hurt when unengaged and inattentive parents fail to make them sharp and observant and awake and leave them in a dull, social media-induced stupor somewhere. Such children will become dull and unable to socialize the results will plague them for the rest of their lives. But hey, at least you had peace and quiet. At least you had a relaxing evening at home. So discipline, well-rounded and engaged. Discipline is desperately needed by our kids. But truth that truth leads to this next truth. What's the motivation of biblical discipline? He who loves his child disciplines them. That's what the Scripture says. Love is the motivation. Okay, simple enough. But I've told you before that we hear simple and we think easy. And simple and easy are not the same thing. There's a lot of things that are simple that are hard to do. And so... You should, And so when the Scripture says we do it because we love, I think there are a few things involved in that. Like, first of all, you should discipline because you love your child. That's the obvious statement that's involved in this text. You discipline because you love your children. I already hinted at this, but it bears repeating often. Children who aren't disciplined don't do well in the world and they aren't prepared well for eternity. Children who aren't disciplined don't do well in this world and they aren't prepared well for eternity. I was reading someone, a pastor actually, not long ago, who had been given a gift to take an African safari by his congregation. It was a lifelong dream of his. And so while he was there, he went on one of those guided safaris where they see the wildlife. And he wrote about an experience he he viewed. He said they actually saw a giraffe give birth. And so they stopped and watched this miracle occur. And shortly after this baby giraffe had been born, the mother went over and kicked it. And he was shocked that an animal would treat their child this way. And and, and he watched it over and over again. Every time the baby would get up and kind of wobble on those long spindly legs and, and it would fall down and mom would walk over and kick it again. And finally he was so exasperated, he watched this little baby get up and run away so mom would stop kicking it. And he looked at the guide and he said, why do they treat their children this way? And the guide said, you know, the only defense that a giraffe has is its ability to get up and outrun its predators. And so mom has to be demand that it happens quickly. So this kick is the most loving thing that the mother can do for the child. So what was perceived as a cruel thing was really a loving thing that mom did for the child. Now, I want you to file this away, and I've said it often, but I hope you'll remember this. Poorly disciplined children will struggle in this world. They just will. If you have a three-year-old who's a bully, and they, there's a lot of them, And they don't want to share their toys, and they take their toys from their brothers and sisters, and they scream or they hit until they get their way. But you're too indulgent to refuse to honestly deal with this behavior, and you act like it's okay, and you think that they're going to grow out of it. Here are two things that are likely to happen to this child. First, you won't deal with it until you can't deal with it any longer, and then you won't deal with it well. You'll lash out at your child about something else that has absolutely nothing to do with what you're really angry about, and your kid will be wandering around confused about what's going on in their world. And the second thing, and more importantly, is they're going to go out and try and make friends, and nobody's going to want to be their friends. No other child is going to want to hang around with your kid. They'll fight. They'll be ignored. Other parents will stop inviting you to birthday parties because you bring the little tyrant with you when you come. I'm doing better than y'all are letting on. Your child will become lonely and rejected. and That can lead to anxiety and depression and resentment. You have a responsibility to your child to teach them how to exist gracefully in this world. If you don't do this for them, it's going to be forever difficult for them. The child who's not disciplined in love in their little world is going to be disciplined harshly in the big world. Here's another one. We discipline because we love our society. One of my favorite authors, Thomas Sowell, says, Each new generation born is in effect an invasion of civilization by a little group of barbarians <laughs> who have to be civilized before it's too late. This may sound drastic, but I think it's correct. Let me show you another passage. Second Timothy. Paul's writing to a young pastor in Ephesus and he says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of them. By the way, as you read through this list, it sounds like he was just on Facebook this morning. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Boastful. Proud. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. Unforgiving. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of money. That is an awful description of the breakdown of human society. Greedy, proud, abusive, ungrateful, unholy, without self-control, brutal, treacherous, rash, hypocrites. Hey, by the way, have you all witnessed any of this in the last year in the United States of America? Did you see this kind of behavior when rioters set our cities on fire last summer? Do you see this when fragile, entitled college students scream in the face of police officers and professors? Do you see this in the justifications that our media makes for violence and excuses that are made for criminals? Okay, all of this stuff may be frustrating to you, but there's this little phrase buried right in the middle of the passage that we skip over very quickly. Right at the beginning. Disobedient to their parents. Folks, I have said it over and over again. The family... Is the basic, fundamental institution of humanity. And if we don't get it right in the family, all of society suffers because of this. So discipline your children because you love other people. Because you care about society. But that leads at least to the primary point for today. And this is kind of where I want to land with you. Discipline your children because you want to keep loving one another. <laughs> I started this message trying to point out the detrimental effect that, this, that a lack of discipline will have on your marriage. And this is just true. Just, I, I, I could give you hundreds of examples, but let me talk about one. It's bedtime. Everybody's got a bedtime when you have kids. This is the moment of freedom that you all wait for every night. Whether it's 7, 7 p.m. or 8 p.m., you're just waiting for that time to come around. And, and uh, it's bedtime. And, but bad, bedtime, for some of you, becomes a nightly showdown with a little tyrant. And, and you dread it. Bedtime, you dread it because you know it's going to be a battle royale in your house to get them to go to sleep. And the tension begins to build up around dinner time. You start to get a little snippy with one another. You're trying to remember, is it my turn or is it her turn? It's her turn. It's got to be her turn. And you, you, know, you, you just start to get a little snappy with one another early because you know it's coming. The tension's already building. You'll get edgy. You'll argue over whose turn it is. And, and then it comes. The time comes. And it all begins about bath time. And, and you'll subject yourself to an hour, an hour and 15 minutes of, of screaming and putting them in bed and having them run out in the living room and putting them back in bed and having them run back. The only reason I know this is because I've lived this, Folks. And you see it happen over and over again. And by the time it's all over, by the time you finally get them to fall asleep, you are two things, angry and tired. And there's one thing that you're not in for sure. You're not in the mood. And don't think I mean in the mood for what you think I mean in the mood for. I mean, you're not in the mood for anything. You've got no patience for anything after that. Want to have a deep, meaningful conversation? No, I'm not in the mood. Want to talk about your day? My day is summed up in that. I'm not in the mood. I mean, for anything that has to do with meaningful relationships, long talks, you're not in the mood for one another. You're not in the mood for this any longer. And by the way, I want you to think about how much time this nightly showdown is stealing from your life. One hour a night, seven days a week, is seven hours a week, which comes to 364 hours per year. That is over two weeks a year that you spend with a screaming child trying to get them to go to sleep. Two weeks a year. Some of you are desperately trying to find enough time and money and one crazy babysitter so you can get a long weekend away from your kids. And you are putting up two weeks a year that you could spend time with one another trying to negotiate with the little tyrant. And this is just one example. And it isn't their fault. If I'm a kid, I don't want to go to bed. It's the last thing that I want to do. Do you see what a dynamic change it would make in our relationship if we could just get this one behavior under control? Now, this may mean that you have to get help. And it may mean that you're going to have to make a decision to sacrifice a few horrendous nights and fight the war in order to win your freedom. I thought that was good, so I'm going to say it again. You're going to have to strap on your helmets and decide that you're going to fight the war in order to win your freedom. So, let me give you an example. I talked to you about Lailie. She's way off in Alabama now, so I can tell She's young, so I'm going to talk about her now. Lailie did not like to go to bed. We didn't really have a big problem uh, with our three on that stone but not. But she was one of these kids that just would not go to bed, and and it, it caught us off guard, and we went through a week of torture like this. But I've I got to tell you that I've got this stubborn streak in me, and when a two year old curls her lip up at me, I'm ready to go to war. So, <laughs> so one day I'd, I'd had it, and so I, I carried her into the bedroom, and we had this crib, which is good because she couldn't escape. So that might be a pointer. Put them somewhere where they can't escape. And I put her in there and and laid her down. And I said, go to bed. And and you know, that never worked. And she would stand up and start screaming. And I'd tell her to lie down. And by the way, it won't work. Reasoning with a child like this never works. If saying lie down had worked for you, you wouldn't be in this situation, would you? And so uh, I walked over and I made her lay down. And by the way, I'm bigger than she is. Did you all know you're bigger than your children? And so I made her lie down, and I and I held my hand on her back, and I wasn't pressing her into the car, and I just held her there. She, I, I outweigh her by a couple hundred pounds, folks. She can't move, and she screamed and she cried, and I just tried to be nice and try to soothe her a little bit. And I, I said, "You're going to enjoy this so much. Sleep is such a great thing. One of these, you know, stuff like that." And. Um, and she, and she finally kind of gave up struggling and I started to walk towards the door. And you know what she did? She stood up again and started to scream at me. And I walked over and laid her down and went through that whole process. Guys, it took me about 40 minutes. But listen, I'm 52. 40 minutes is nothing to me, but 40 minutes is a lifetime to a two-year-old. And eventually, I won. And I was tired. And I was grouchy. And I was in a bad mood. And I had to do that for about three nights. And you know what? After a while, she finally figured out she wasn't going to win. Listen, um, I've got to tell you that um, two-year-olds can be really stubborn. And you're both going to have to do something like this. And you're both going to have to be tough about this stuff. And then if you're willing to fight the battle on the front end, you probably will find freedom. Let me give you one more. And by the way, there's all kinds of things we could talk about here. But just one more thought before we um, bring it in for a landing here. Don't let your children play you against one another. Children are experts. Children are experts uh, at strategy and how to win in the home, folks. You thought they were innocent and that's how they get you. Don't let your children... Play you against one another. They do this divide and conquer thing. Never let your desire to indulge your kids cause you to sell out your husband or your wife. Make time for one another. Lock arms with one another. Do it because you love them. But do it also because you need to keep loving one another. Okay, let me, let me end here. The, the practice of discipline. And, and this is where I'm going to have to kind of leave you and to the Holy Spirit. But let me give you some guidelines. The verse says, be careful to discipline them. And that means make sure that you uh, make it a priority, but also make sure that you do it in a way that's thoughtful. Discipline done solely out of anger is never productive. And again, if we don't have a plan, what we call discipline is simply lashing out in anger and frustration at our children. Paul deals with this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, where he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. What he's warning against is this idea that the only time I ever intervene in my children's life is when they've irritated me. I can't hear the ball game because they're making so much noise. I, I, can't, I can't finish this project because they keep fighting. I, I'm trying to check how many likes my last post got and they're in my face screaming for milk. So we scream, Shut up and get out of my face! The knee-jerk, reactionary, selfish response exasperates your children, doesn't discipline them. Also, we've got to be thoughtful about discipline because every child is unique. Every child is different. And Like I said, we had one we thought we had to figure it out and then we had another one and, I, and human beings are all different. And by the way, just let me tell you, none of us really know what we're doing on the front end. You kind of figure it out as you go along. I, tell, I i remember the day that we we were able to take Zachary home from the hospital, first child we ever had, and I had—we'd gone and bought a, bay, a a seat, a car seat. We didn't realize they came in different sizes. So they wheeled Jenny out of Lake Wales Hospital. You know this phalanx of guards and the sergeant at arms, nurse that wouldn't even let me touch her. And we get up there, and I take the little curled shrimp that we call Zachary and I stick him in the seat and I realize that I had bought a toddler seat for a baby. And I'm looking over my shoulder because the sergeant's watching me. And every time I let go of him, he rolls over and his little head comes to rest. And I'm, I'm just kind of trying to prop him up. You know, like... Just stay, just stay. And finally, I got an idea. I got a, we had a burp rag, and I wrapped it around his head so it would stay in place. And I had to stop three times on the way home to push his head back up in the right position. And then after he'd been home for a week, Jenny left me home alone with him. And uh, so she said, you know, the bottles are all ready. Feed him. Well, I didn't realize that. I mean, he just kept taking it, so I kept giving it to him. And then I remembered, oh yeah, she pats him on the back and he makes that burp noise. And I did it. And stuff just... It was like a scene from The Exorcist. I kept waiting for his head to start spinning around. And I laid him down on the bed and Jenny called me to see how you're doing. I said, I can't even get through one night with this child. Come home, please. I'm just telling you this, folks, because, listen, the frustration, the, the hiding in your bedroom and thinking, what in the world am I doing? That's very normal. But you can make it through this stuff if you'll work on it together. Here's uh, The Scripture says, Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are older, they will not depart from it. That word in the way means according to their bent. Everybody, Every child's dis- different. So figure that out. Careful discipline means that you have a plan for your children and you have a godly goal in mind we don't we we do this so that they'll grow up to respect people and take initiative and work hard and and stick with commitments and and so i'm going to end with this have a plan have a plan sit down and talk to one another about how you're going to do this and the commitment you're going to make to one another to do this. Stop waiting for bedtime to get here and you're in the middle of the stream fit before you decide how you're going to handle this. How are you going to make the kid eat? What are you committing to do with one another in this stuff? Before I was married, someone said I had no children and six theories on how to raise them. Now I have six children and no theories. I don't have any theories either. Nothing has humbled me like being a father but I'm going to give you two broad principles and then make you an offer two broad principles number one as few as, as few rules as you possibly can have that's a good marker and the second is the minimal amount of force necessary when you're disciplining your child is that okay? as few rules as you have to have and the minimal amount of force necessary that's, those are two good principles and then this offer some of you are just looking for somebody to help you This is the last Sunday in this Until Death series and you're struggling. And it's hard to talk about this stuff. It's hard to find a place where you can be honest and trust the people that you talk to. And so, that's what a church family is for. And in staff this last week, we decided that we would make this offer. If you would like to get in a group where you can work together with some folks you can trust in marriage, we have something called Sacred Marriage that we can offer to you. If you're interested, use your Connect cards. And just write on there, Talk, please let me know about sacred marriage. And then we also have a parenting a curriculum and group that we've worked through. And if you would like some help in that, fill that out and let us know. Okay? Why don't you all bow your heads with me. It really is true. We've had some fun together here this morning, Father. But Your Word says that children are a heritage from the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is your reward. And blessed is the man who has a quiver full of children. And, and the fact is, some of the best laughter and certainly some of the best memories that you've ever invested us with came because of the children that we've had. And we thank you for every one of them. What we're asking you for, God, is because you have trusted us so much with another human life and your word says, to whom much is given, much is required that You'll help us to take this job seriously. To love our children enough to care about the kind of adults they're becoming. Yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, are great things. To Teach them, Lord, how to respect and respond to leadership and how to be leaders themselves. We want our children not only to make us happy, but we want them to bless Your world. To become the kind of young men and women who... Um, just bring good to the society around them. So we pray, God, that You'll give us the courage and the endurance and the wisdom to know how to do it better maybe than we have been. And my prayer is that today You would help parents begin to talk about these things well with one another. Bless each home that's represented in this place and we trust You for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.